even as a young kid, I just looked around. And I was like, well, that guy did it. And this guy did it. And that guy did it. And I didn't know anyone in my personal life. These were just stories and movies and things like that. And yeah, there's some Hollywood to it. And I think that's what my parents were trying to protect me from. But I couldn't help but look around, especially as I got older and read more books and literature and magazines and things like that. And I was like, this guy grew up poor. He didn't go to college. He's successful. So I just try to learn from the people that had done it before me. It's really that simple. The following is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end client experience platform that helps you get the job, manage the job, and get credit. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street, and this week you get to meet the laundromat millionaire, Dave Mentz. So Dave Mintz is a working class guy from Flint, Michigan. He grew up in poverty, overcame superhero-like obstacles to become a laundromat millionaire. This story is a life and business journey that doesn't stop at rags to riches. It begins with a stubborn and obsessive mission to be a business owner with a tenacious and genuine purpose to help others do the same. Even if you also don't have a college degree or perhaps because you have one. That's the lead in, by the way, to Dave's new book, which is called Laundromat Millionaire, and Dave's going to be talking about when that's coming out, and he's got a new publisher he's very excited about. And Dave is the proprietor of the multi-million dollar chain, Queen City Laundry in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Gordon. Thanks for having me. So, Dave, you know, your background plays a big part in your story. So let's just start there. Your background, where'd you grow up? What was it like to grow up as Dave Mintz? Yeah, so so as you mentioned, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, which is now unfortunately become famous for this uh, the water crisis that's the, that's there. Uh, but that's where all my family grew up. I was a GM baby. Uh, my dad didn't work in the GM factories, but pretty much everybody else in my family did, and uh, we grew up really poor. Um, you know, I had I had a stable home. My father and mother loved each other very much, so I was very blessed in that way. Um, but as far as money, my parents um, got pregnant and married their senior year of high school. And so that was with my older brother. I was born about a year and a half year, a year and a half later. And so, you know, when you have two kids before the age of 19 and you're married, you know, you're, you're starting out behind the eight ball (laughs) and, uh, and you know, my dad's a a scrapper himself and he, he worked really hard through corporate America and promotions and took some community classes and things like that. And kind of dug us out of poverty by, by the time I probably graduated from high school, we were probably more lower middle class. It was a great upbringing from the stability in my home. But as far as where we lived, it was a pretty rough neighborhood. We were kind of always behind the eight ball. And so it was the stereotypical poverty story where you just don't have much of anything. A lot of times you don't have what you need, uh, but you certainly not never have any of what you want. And the good news of that is that it kind of burns this, uh, this mentality into your psyche that I call grit. Um, and what it does is it kind of burns into this uh, sort of a reverse mentality towards Uh, entitlement, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, a lot of people think they're entitled to certain things. I am under no illusion that not only am I entitled to anything, but that no one will ever give me anything. Um, That was burned into me very young, Uh, not because anyone said it, but just because that's how life was. And so that was kind of my upbringing. And so from a very young age, I I learned that if I wanted anything in life, I was going to have to figure out a way to go get it. But the good news is probably by age six or seven, I realized that I live in America and then I could go get it. Might not always be pretty, might not always be easy, but I could go get it. And so that's also something that was kind of burned into my mentality. And I just call that good old fashioned grit. 
Um, and so that was kind of my upbringing of, I was always kind of wanting to be a little business owner and entrepreneur, you know, cutting grass, delivering newspapers and the lemonade stand and selling candy and all those things just to, to get anything that I, that I wanted or needed in life. And so, you know, I always tell people, look, a lot of people had it a lot worse than me. I'm not here to cry about my upbringing. In fact, I wonder, you know, my children nowadays who kind of do have this sort of privileged upbringing, um, I kind of wonder, am I doing them a disservice? <laughs> I look at my wife sometimes I'm like, you know, they're awful soft. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure that that, uh, that negative that a lot of us see it as a negative hasn't mm-hmm. uh, turned into a positive for me in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Were your parents business people or your father a business person? Mm-hmm. Did any of that come from them rubbing off on you? No, that's also an interesting caveat to my story because I've learned that many, 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 I would argue most entrepreneurs and business owners were raised by entrepreneurs and business owners, at least the ones that I've met. And my family was the complete opposite. I mean, they encouraged me, they loved me, but they told me that was crazy and that I was, I had my head in the clouds and I needed to just get good grades, go to college, get a degree, become an accountant and work for 40 years. And that that was the only way to life. And that, you know, all this other stuff was just Hollywood. It wasn't even real. And that all I would do is work really hard and end up being bankrupt is what they told me. And so they, they couldn't have discouraged it anymore. (laughs) But the reality is that it's just something that was burning inside of me to be a business owner. I just never really wanted to be an employee of someone else's. I was for a while and I kind of felt like a caged lion you know, some people crave and need that structure and that's, that's awesome, but I'm the opposite. I need that freedom, but also with that freedom comes, you know, a lot of responsibility. I always crave that responsibility of, you know what, I'm responsible for going out and killing it and bringing it home. And that's something that always just motivated me when I was an employee in corporate America, I really wasn't that great of an employee because I really wasn't motivated. I just felt all these constraints on me. When I became a business owner, I found this completely different level of ambition because I knew no one was going to give me anything. And so I better go get it. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, that's just the way I was raised. My parents didn't intentionally squash my dreams, but they sure did try. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I always say is we all have our different gifts and talents in this world. And one of mine is insane stubbornness. And so if I decide I'm going to do something, there isn't really anyone in the world that's going to tell me that I can't or won't. And if somebody tries to tell me that I can't or won't, that just motivates me even more. And so while I love my parents and still do, and I respect them tremendously, I just never believed them. Because even as a young kid, I just looked around. I was like, well, that guy did it. And this guy did it. And that guy did it. And I didn't know anyone in my personal life. These were just stories and movies and things like that. And yeah, there's some Hollywood to it. And I think that's what my parents were trying to protect me from. But I couldn't help but look around, especially as I got older and read more books and literature and magazines and things like that. And I was like, this guy grew up poor. He didn't go to college. He's successful. So I just tried to learn from the people that had done it before me. It's really that simple. So how did you get into the laundromat business? You actually found the first business I read on Craigslist. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, that's a true story. Well, as I mentioned, I worked in corporate America for about 12 or 13 years, and I kind of got burned out in my early 30s. And I looked at my wife one day and said, you know, I told you when we were dating that I always wanted to be a business owner. She was like, yeah, you did. And I said, well, you know, this isn't working for me. I don't want to do this corporate America thing for another 30 years. And so she and I sat down and kind of had a monumental conversation in our marriage. We said, all right, what are we going to do about it? Because we didn't have a lot of money. We were very middle class, had a young family. She was a school teacher. 
and we just said, all right, well, we need to, we need to start making different decisions. And so for about three or four years, we sacrificed and lived well below our means and saved up a pretty good amount of seed money for a business, not really knowing what that business would be. And honestly, I didn't even care what the product was. Mm. I was just mostly motivated by and inspired by all things business and entrepreneurship. The product wasn't really important to me. And uh, so I looked for three or four or five years and everywhere you could look for a business for sale, you know, the internet was kind of just starting to get a little bit robust. And so there were some tools out there and things like that. And I found Craigslist and I would sit on Craigslist for hours and hours and research businesses for sale, which was a category they had. I would look at any business that was for sale. And some of them, I would go further down the journey of, is this for me? And some of them would tell me really quickly that that wasn't a good fit for me. And long story short, I ended up finding a local laundromat for sale just a few miles from my house. And I had lived in this community at that point for probably over 20 years um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where I live now. And I just jumped in my car. It was five minutes away. And I drove up there and I was like, I know, I know exactly where this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went up there and I looked at it. And the only thing I could think was, holy cow, this place is a hot mess. I mean, it was just disgusting in every way, shape and form. And so I started doing some research and some diligence. And I looked at all the other laundromats in about a 20 mile radius of this one. And every one of them were in just as bad of shape. And I remembered back to being a young kid. I was in the sixth grade when we moved to Cincinnati. And I remembered that that laundromat used to be a booming place. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know a lot about business, but the loss of supply and demand kind of tell me that the community isn't properly being served here. And so I started, you know, long story short, I ended up buying the place and uh, found a good local mentor and a local equipment distributor that kind of acted as a mentor and a friend to me. Now he's one of my best friends. He kind of helped me to navigate the beginning of getting into an industry that I didn't know anything about. Hmm. So, boy, I have a lot. That's a great story. And I have a lot of questions coming out. (laughs) So one of them is, why did you buy a business instead of just launching or starting your own from scratch? Mm hmm. I actually don't have an answer for that. It never occurred to me, Gordon. And now sitting where I am today and seeing how entrepreneurs do what we do in the 21st century, that probably makes a lot more sense. But that was all I had ever, all I had ever researched was buying existing businesses. And, you know, the, the opportunities, once again, that are out there today because of the internet weren't really out there, not as, not as robust, at least not as well known, even 12, 15 years ago when I got into the industry. Um, They were certainly out there, but not like they are today. And so the only thing I can say is I guess all the literature that I had read, all the books and magazines and things like, you know, there weren't really podcasts and stuff back then. And so everything I had consumed just always surrounded itself with buying an existing business. I don't really have an answer that's any better than that, to be honest. (laughs) Now, I know you have, uh, we're going to get into the whole laundromat business in a minute, but I know you have um, a bunch of laundromats now. You have a chain, basically, of Queen City Laundry, right? Um, Did you buy the other ones or were those organic launches? Every one of those were also rundown laundromats in really bad shape. And I've probably had the opportunity to buy 20 or 30 laundromats and I own five. And the reason I turned down the other ones is because they weren't in great locations. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that I knew is, hey, if I fix this place up, I don't want to buy a laundromat that's in bad shape, but that's in a good or bad location and then fix it up and make it nice and then have somebody take over a better location and make it nice. Now they have a competitive advantage on me. And so that was kind of the the deciding factor for which ones I bought and which ones I didn't was how great of a location are they in? And then nowadays it it even pivots more towards uh, can I acquire the real estate? 
back then I didn't have the resources to do that, but now I do. And so those are two of my biggest decision-making factors in which ones to acquire and not other than just the laws of supply and demand. It's an interesting caveat because our industry is very antiquated. It's very old school. It's very mom and pop. You know, when you say the word laundromat, there's a negative connotation associated with that and rightfully so. The reason is about 70, 75% of the laundromats throughout the entire United States are in terrible shape of disrepair. They just haven't been run right. And so there are situations where it makes sense to build a new laundromat from scratch, but in a lot of cases, it financially makes a lot more sense to take over an existing laundromat that's in a great location that has the bones that you're looking for, and then to flip it into basically a new laundromat. Um, the only difference is when we use the word flip, usually people think of that as selling it. And obviously I'm, I'm flipping it, creating a, uh, an asset that I can monetize and serve the community. So obviously I hold them. Um, right. But that was, that's also a lower barrier to entry to getting into the industry is to buy a rundown dumpy laundromat and then kind of as it makes some money, kind of reinvest the profits from the business back in it to just keep making it better and better. And we did that. And that was a big part of our success. We didn't take any money out of the business for almost seven years. Um, everything we made, we just plowed into the second store and the third store and making all three nicer. And then I actually kept my full-time job for about five years while I built well, you were working, my... you were working in your corporate America job for five years while you yep. were buying and, and upgrading the laundromat until you had enough, I guess, cash flow in order mm -hmm. to survive off the laundromat. Yeah, we actually, when I, when I quit my full-time job, we had two stores that were very, very profitable that we had not taken a penny out of for five years. Um, and we were under contract to buy our third location. And that one, we were also buying the real estate. And that was kind of when it came to the point, like, okay, I can't keep doing this. Cause to that point I had probably worked 90 to hundred hours a week for five years. Um, I had basically slept and worked. I had missed, I mean, I had three young kids. I had missed several years of their life. My wife was basically a single mom. Once again, when you come from poverty, it, it, there's only one way you're going to get out of it. And it's do things that other people won't do or aren't willing to do. And so this was the only way I saw to dig myself out of poverty. And in this case, out of the middle class, uh, because I was burned out in corporate America and I wanted more for my family and more for myself in my life. So, yeah, I mean, that was the situation we were in when I bought my first laundromat. I mean, we had like $30,000 and we had saved up for almost five years to have that. So I, I wasn't going to change my family tree and I wasn't going to change the dynamics of my family moving forward if I didn't make drastic changes and decisions and sacrifices. And so that was part of that uh, monumental conversation that me and my wife had is if we just do what everybody else does and just, you know, buy that new SUV every three or four years or buy that new house every five years, I mean, we're just going to be in a rat race for everybody else. And neither one of us really wanted that. So let's talk economics of the business a little bit. So what kind mm -hmm. of money does it take to get into the laundry business? What did you pay for the first laundry? And what does a typical mm -hmm. person who wants to get into the business pay to, to buy that first laundry? Yeah, it varies a lot. That's one of the unique things about the industry is there are people out there that have gotten into the industry for quote unquote free. And what I mean by that is my second store, I didn't actually pay anything for. But to back up to my first one, my first store, I paid about $85,000 for it. Um, we put about 15,000 down, if I remember right, and then got a little SBA loan for the rest of it. And then, like I said, for the next several years, we just kept reinvesting everything back into the business. But the economics, I mean, you can get into the industry very, it, a lot of it depends on your market and opportunities. I mean, if you happen to live or serve, trying to serve a market that's already oversaturated with what I call modernized laundromats, which are top of the industry facilities and operations, 
then you don't have those opportunities that I had, you know, everything within a 20 mile radius was a dump. So I could pretty, pretty much take my pick, fix it up. And I, I was pretty confident it was going to do well. It's a situation where you can literally get in the industry with very little money. It's just a matter of how, how much are you willing to sacrifice? I mean, in those five years, I talked about the hours I worked, mm-hmm. I, you know, I worked my full-time job. I worked 50 hours a week at my full-time job with my commute that didn't include overtime. And that was an hour from my home. And so all these little emergencies and hiccups and things that happen in this, in this business, I was an hour away and I was a telephone lineman. So a lot of times I would get calls and I was literally hanging off a telephone pole, uh, <laughs> fixing the phone lines and things like that. It's not like I could just pack up my whole crew and head home. Um, and so there was a, there was a lot of interesting dynamics there, but there are people that get into the industry that are incredibly wealthy. They build amazing portfolios very quickly because they find the right locations. They can hire a coach and a mentor. They can accelerate these things and they have the cash. Uh, but the reality is it's a very capital intensive business. So you can even there either have the cash, have a great mentor and coach, get into the industry very smoothly and serve a lot of people and make a lot of money. Or you can, t- you know, the other angle to the industry is buying those rundown dumpy opportunities um, and fixing them up. If you have the cash to do that, you can a lot of times turn them around really quickly. If you don't have a lot of cash, then it usually requires a lot of sacrifice and sweat equity. And every situation is unique and different. But it's one of the great things about the laundromat industry is there's so many opportunities out there. And there's so many unique ways to enter the industry that if you just have the good old fashioned grit and work ethic and you're willing to grind, I mean, you can you can pretty much do what I did. You just have to find the right location. And I don't claim that they're in everyone's backyard, but they're definitely very common. So. Dave, just to get a little deeper into the business, what are the revenues of a successful laundromat? Again, I assume, you know, high to low, but what, mm-hmm. what, what can someone expect who's spending thirty, dollars dollars $50,000 to get into the business once they fix it up and make it successful? What are the revenues of a, a laundromat that someone might expect? Yeah, so, I mean, pretty common net operating income for a laundromat in, in, in just an average, obviously every situation is unique. But the average revenues, um, net operating income is usually anywhere from 30 to 40%, you know, cash on cash. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very, it can be a very lucrative business. Uh, But one of the things that's really amazing about the business is it's also a vital community resource. And I always tell people, if you're going to be in a business, do you want to be in a business that people want or a business that people need? You want to be in a business people need. <laughs> you want to be solving a problem that's needed, not wanted. If, and at least that's my opinion. And so the beauty of the business is obviously if you run a terrible business and you don't reinvest in your business, there's probably going to come a point where you're not making any money on it. Um, but if you run the business as what I call top of the industry, um, which is roughly in our industry, about the top 15% of our industry, that's the investment or the return on investment that they can usually expect in most cases. And obviously there's, you know, averages and things run the gamut and things like that, but it can be a pretty lucrative business. Um, To give you a quick example, that first store I bought for 85, I put 15 down, borrowed 70. And if I wanted to take money back out that first year I owned it, I probably made, even after debt servicing and everything, I mean, we probably made 12 to $15,000 and -hmm. that's after servicing our debt. So if you Mm -hmm. factor that into the net operating income, I mean, I probably got my 30 back in 15 months, 16 months, mm-hmm. if I was just trying to get my money back out of it. Now, right. that wouldn't have been a scalable business long term because <laughs> it, it had a lot of warts. <laughs> yeah. So but, I wanted uh, to ask you about the scale aspect to it. Is You said you own five. Is it a scale business in the sense that you, know, you do better with each laundry the more you have? 
Yeah, most certainly is. And and I think there's some caveats there too. If you have a store four hours away from another one, there's not really many economies of scale and things like that. But in my case, all four of my, or all five of my stores, I just bought a new one. Uh, all five of my stores are probably within 15 to 20 miles of each other, all on the east side of Cincinnati. And so I kind of have that side of Cincinnati kind of kind of locked down at this point. And when you have that, I mean, you can build a lot of redundancies through operations and managers. And like, I have one general manager that runs the entire organization. We have about 40 employees and they all report to her. Now they may not see her for weeks at a time um, because each store has its own store manager, but our attendants, our store managers, our general managers are all cross-trained from store to store. And so when it comes to redundancies and backups and things like that, it can be really helpful operationally because this is a retail business, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't always just build technology into everything. What are some things about the laundromat business you think the average observer wouldn't understand that you understand now? What are the secrets that maybe casual observer wouldn't, wouldn't get? I like to tell people that I believe the laundromat business is the best small business in America. And I really break that down into seven quick reasons. So I can just go over those for you if you want real quickly. Sure. Um, the first one, a couple of them I've already mentioned, by the way, one of them is just the money, which we talked about. Pretty good returns on investment, pretty low barrier to entry. It's a vital community resource, meaning that it's a recession resistant business. It's needed rather than a wanted community service. Um, it's a simple cash business because there's not a lot of accounts receivable, very little if no inventory management. Um, you can run it with very little uh, staffing, which everybody that owns a business knows that, you know, managing people can a lot of times be a, be a difficult thing to do. The simple cash business aspect, all payments are made up front. So the bookkeeping, if you've never owned a business before, it can be a great business to get into to kind of get your feet wet and learn, you know, learn how to run a business and all the little idiosyncrasies that come with it. Another thing that's fantastic about the industry is that it's flexible. A lot of people like to sell this industry as passive and it's not, but it is, you could call it semi-passive or flexible. And what I mean by that is it can be a great side business. So I'm an example of someone who worked my full-time job for about five years before I left. And I ran two stores and was under contract for my third. The reason I was able to do that is because yes, I had responsibilities. I had a lot of things to do in the business, but when I did them was mostly up to me. Um, I could do them at seven at night after I got off work, or I could do them at three in the morning if I wanted to. I had things that need to be done, but I didn't have to be there all day, every day. And the business didn't, for the most part, didn't dictate to me when I needed to be there. I got to dictate that to the business. And so whether you're someone that has a full-time job and wants to create a quote unquote side hustle, you can do that. And you can do that permanently if you don't want to grow the business. But if you want to grow the business into something substantial, then you can grow it to the point where it just outperforms your, your uh, corporate career and you can eventually leave, which is what I did. Um, so it creates that flexibility to work around any particular schedule, which is important. So Dave, I want to turn now in just a minute to this mission you seem to be on to help mm -hmm. other people. As I referenced at the beginning, you've written a book. The book is now going to be published in a few months. You're on podcasts. You, you, I've seen you on YouTube. You've become sort of a, a celebrity in the, in the uh, laundromat <laughs> business, or you're on your way to it. And it's curious to me that you've sort of taken the, on this mission of wanting to help mm. others. But first, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then I'm going to come back to that question. Looking for help to launch your business? Check out launchpadamerica.com. What's launchpadamerica.com? It's the site for all your startup needs. 
leading providers of business solutions for America's small businesses have teamed up to create LaunchpadAmerica.com. It's a unique site where you can find the resources and mentorship to start and grow your business. At LaunchpadAmerica.com, you'll find a startup guide with free educational materials showing you how to launch your business. You'll also find a starter kit with offers for essential business tools to run and grow your company. Behind LaunchpadAmerica.com are great organizations. Thrive, MasterCard, Intuit, GoSmallBiz.com, Blendio, ADP, Umail, and America's Small Business Development Center. These innovative leaders are proud to support today's small businesses and entrepreneurs. Visit LaunchpadAmerica.com to get your small business blasting off in the right direction. So we're back with Dave Mentz. Fascinating story about the laundromat millionaire and how he got started from a life of poverty and became you know, overnight success 20 years in the making in the laundromat business. So Dave, I was asking you, you've now become kind of this missionary of talking about how to lift yourself out of poverty, how to get into a sort of non-sexy business like laundromats and some of the things it takes to, to get there. Why are you so interested in helping others? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. It's something that I'm definitely very passionate about. Um, you know, I think the main reason is because as I have served these communities that my stores um, are in that didn't used to be served properly, I've seen what a vital community resource looks like when it's, when it's down and when it's up. And it can absolutely directly affect the, the morale of the community. And when, it's, when something's a vital community resource, it's important is what it boils down to. And so as we fixed up these places, I've seen that, you know, many, many, many times have people come up to me with literally tears in their eyes and they just thank me for fixing up the local laundromat because they had to go there either way. They didn't have a choice, but to, you know, once again, if nine of them are in bad shape, what are you going to do? Pick one of nine. And so I, I, what it really boils down to is it's two things. One is my faith. I believe that we're here to serve each other. Um, I believe that that's why we're here and that we can make money and support our families and change our communities through servitude. And that's something that we should all strive to do. Not everybody does, but I believe we all should. And so what I did is I looked at this and I said, wow, what a monumental change I've made in these five local communities. That feels really good. I feel really good about that. I make a nice living now. I love what I do. I've created a bunch of jobs that didn't exist. But then I fell in love with the industry, meaning that I'm a big networker. And I got to know people all throughout the industry, all throughout the country and even other countries. And what I learned is that because our industry isn't that big, there's really a lack of information. There's a lack of knowledge. There's a lack of resources. And I said, okay, well, I looked back and I said, well, how did I learn these things? Well, it took a long time, but I learned it through talking to people that had been there before me. And one of the things I learned about it is the laundromat industry is pretty antiquated, meaning even the top of the industry, the most successful people, most of them work full-time in their business. And that's how they're successful is because it all goes through them. And that's not the business I created. I created a business with layers of management and general managers, and I don't work in my businesses. I'm there, but I'm overseeing and leading the operations and the vision for the future. I'm not working day to day in the operations of the business. And so what that does is frees me up to have the time to do things like this with you and to write a book and to produce a podcast and things like that. And the motivation behind that is pretty simple. I want to, what I call, elevate our industry. I want to bring knowledge to our industry because I believe that if I do that, there's thousands and thousands of good people out there in the world that either own laundromats 
or if they knew what they were really getting into, would be interested in owning laundromats. And that if I educate them and I inspire them with my story and my knowledge and experience, then what will they do? Hopefully they will go into their local communities where these 70 to 75% of laundromats are underserving their community and they will do it better. Now, it may be someone that already owns a laundromat or two and has loaned a laundromat or two for 20 or 30 years and just didn't know how to do it any differently. And then they hear this story of, wow, there's this other part of the industry that I never knew even existed because I'm working 50 to 60 hours a week in my business and never had the opportunity to network and educate and listen to podcasts and things like that. So it's twofold. One of them is there are people in our industry that take this industry and their communities for granted. No doubt about it. They want a passive business. They don't care about servitude. They just want to use the community and make money. My focus there is to find people outside the industry that are like-minded as me and with their hearts. And they want to come in and serve the industry, serve their communities. And they know that that will be a profitable endeavor for them. So I want to tell the story to the mainstream world of what the laundromat industry is, because there's a negative connotation associated with it, which is a well-deserved reputation. But the reality is I've decided that I'm passionate enough that I'm going to do something about it. So the first thing is I want to attract people from outside the industry to our industry by showing them the good side of the industry and how fantastic it is. And then the second is what I talked about a minute ago, which is I want to teach people that are my friends and people in the industry that there is a different way of doing things. And it's all predicated on education and inspiration. That's great. You've, um, you've also been sort of an industry pioneer in terms of, I guess, innovations. And one of the things, I don't know if you'd call it an innovation, but it seemed that way to me, was this, uh, I guess, mini business you call Happy Nest. And Happy mm-hmm. Nest, I understand, is the laundry pickup and delivery business, which seems sort of obvious, but I guess a lot of laundromats, they just expect people to show up and, and you know, yeah. it's coin operated and they, uh, or maybe credit card now, but you do this delivery business. Tell me about that. How's, how did you decide to do that? And how's it doing? Is it growing? Yeah, our pickup and delivery business is booming. Like, like I never dreamed it would in a million years. I just totally stumbled into something <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, cause I don't do anything halfway. I mean, it, it's worked out pretty well, but it, I totally tripped into this. What it really boiled down to Gordon is when I got into the industry, it was a self-serve business. That's all people talk about. I eventually evolved over time with my education and my knowledge and learning from others. And I learned the other side of the industry, which is more of a full service business, which is stereotypically been what they call a drop-off laundry service, which means you have attendants in the store and even managers, people bring in their laundry. And instead of doing it themselves, they bring it to your staff and you professionally wash, dry, fold, and package the laundry for them. And they bring it back. That service has been around for years, but it's also always been considered kind of an ancillary income. It's never really been anything substantial until recently. Um, And a big part of that pivot has been society's mentality towards our time, this service industry that we all see exploding in every way, shape, and form. And so it wasn't just me. I was one of a handful of people in the industry that was just always looking. I have a philosophy in life and in business. Just be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. I'm not competing with anybody else. That's all I'm trying to do is be better. And so when you have that mentality and that attitude, you kind of obsessively are always looking for the next whatever to be better. And when you do that, you see opportunities is the way that I've learned. And so I looked at things like pickup and delivery. And I said, you know, nobody's really doing this in the industry, but I see that drop off laundry service is booming. And I looked at our business model and I said, you know, capital, this is a very capital intensive business, meaning the equipment is very expensive. A lot of times you're in retail locations, which means the rent is fairly expensive. And I said, you know, we have all this excess capacity. 
in our equipment and our storefront and all these things. And so I looked at it and I said, well, what if I just bought a truck? And instead of, you know, for, for self-serve and for drop-off, customers will typically only visit your retail location within about a five mile radius. Stats show that that's about all they're willing to drive to use your services. Well, in pickup and delivery, you can extend your storefront to whatever demographics you want to. You can be very strategic about it or very aggressive about it. And I just said, well, if they won't come further than five miles, I'll get some trucks and I'll go to, I'll go to them. And that has evolved over the years. It's, it, it was way more than I bargained for. <laughs> I had no idea what I was really getting involved in. I, I didn't approach it with the respect that it deserved, to be honest with you. But here we are, yeah, five, five and a half years later, and our pickup and delivery business is now generating over twice the revenue of any of our retail stores. But our rent didn't go up. We didn't buy more equipment. You know, it's, it, you're just leveraging existing infrastructure. And that's actually one of the seven reasons that I talk about the laundromat business being the best small business in America is mm-hmm. because it's, it's now fully scalable. Um, In the past, you were pretty limited by your community and your competition and what they did or didn't do. And you didn't have a lot of control over that. But now you can build a scalable business model. And to give you a quick example, that fourth store that I bought before I started pickup and delivery, that store was generating about three to 350,000 a year in gross revenue at about a 30% margin. Now that store, which we run our pickup and delivery business out of does about 1.2 million a year at about 35% margin. My rent didn't change and I didn't buy any more equipment. Now that is a very labor intensive business. So a lot of those, that's why the margins are the same Mm -hmm. is a lot, you know, a lot of that goes to a different pot, if you will, in the business model. But if you know how to perfect the model and you know, you're focused on serving others and building a brand and a reputation, it's something that can be very powerful. And if you look at, you know, I tell our industry all the time, I'm like, if you look at, I have a lot of friends that are in other industries, especially the restaurant industry. And if you look at them, they're all focused on what I call throughput, which is just efficiency is all it is. Capitalizing on those excess capacities and how can you generate more revenue without spending more money on CapEx. It's something our industry has just never really done much of. It's just kind of built this, build the store, people come. If you do a good job, keep it clean. Maybe you're attended, maybe you're unattended. Maybe it's new, maybe it's old. You are what you are and you just hope and pray and cross your fingers that nobody builds a laundromat across the street from you. That's pretty <laughs> much been our business model for 65, 70 years. And I said, you know, I mean, in the past, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of innovation happening in our industry, but now with technology and with us being able to share information and resources and knowledge, like through this podcast with you, the industry is evolving in a way that quite frankly, a lot of other industries have been evolving for the last 15 or 20 years. We were just kind of behind the eight ball because we didn't have that knowledge. We just have a few minutes left, but I do have a couple more questions for you. And one picking up on the last comment is around the use of technology. Our company, actually our parent company, Thrive, makes a CRM for small businesses that help small businesses basically track who their customers are and communicate with their customers. Do you use technology in the business other than technology to operate the machines, but technology in terms of customers or marketing or anything like that? What is it? Yeah, we definitely do. There's seven or eight different technology companies in the industry. Some of them are laundromat owners that saw a need and are kind of self-taught, if you will. And they've done a really good job for who they are and their background and their education. Now we have a few bigger, what you'd call true tech companies that are coming into the industry, recognizing that there is an opportunity here, of course, to serve the community. And that's part of this opportunity that us laundromat owners have, is having these tools and resources and things like that that can help us track data instead of counting coins. I mean, how crazy is that in 2021 that anyone would even consider that? But there are people that still do that. 
it's not exactly technology that's revolutionary as far as the business world outside of the laundromat industry, but in the laundromat industry, it's absolutely revolutionizing the industry. And it's really just a matter of a couple of tech companies seeing the opportunity and saying, wow, this is amazing. We need to go capitalize on this. And once again, serve others, which is laundromat owners, help them serve their communities better. So whether it's logistical tools, or like you mentioned, CRMs and being able to run promotions and easily communicate with our customers, send them text notifications the night before to remind them that we're going to be there in the morning to pick up their laundry. All of these tools and resources have kind of just run into our industry in the last five years, really. And just like anything in life, some of them are doing it better than others. Some of them are, are laundromat owners. And so they're, they're more focused on the laundromat and less on this tech because that's not really their expertise. But there's definitely some, what most people would call bigger companies coming into the industry that see the opportunity to serve us laundromat owners. And that's really just an educational process too, is just once again, me telling my story and saying, this is what I did. And there's really no reason you can't do it either. And these are the tools that I needed and they're already out there. For marketing purposes, do you rely mainly on your storefront? Like that's your sign, basically, that people are going to see it when they drive by and know you're there and use those services? Or do you actually market the business? Do you advertise? I know you're on Facebook. Like what do you do to sort of get the word out about what you're doing? Yeah, once again, the top of the industry absolutely typically budges three to four, sometimes 5% of their gross revenue for marketing. And if that isn't coming back to you in a return on investment, then you're doing something wrong. But absolutely, there's a good 70 to 75, maybe 80% of the industry that has this mentality that's been shared for 65, 70 years, which is, you know, word of mouth is the best advertising. Well, it is. That's great. I mean, word of mouth is great advertising and your reputation and your brand should mean something. But I always tell people, I'm like, it's not an either or proposition here. Like we can do both. You can have a good brand, a good reputation. Word of mouth can be powerful and you can spend three to 5% of your gross revenue and, and just take your business to another level. And I know it's as a business owner, who's very successful. I know it sounds insane for me to even say these things. Like they're so elementary in some ways, but that's just not what our industry was. Now we are much better today than we were 12, 13 years ago when I got into the industry. And it's not just me. There's a handful of us that are really trying to kind of shout from the mountaintops, hey guys, we can do things a lot better and we should. But yeah, to give you an example, I mean, that's what I do is we spend about four and a half to 5% of mm-hmm. our gross revenues on, on digital marketing and advertising. And we've tried billboard campaigns and things like that, which weren't as effective. So we're pretty much all digital at this point. Digital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Well, this has been great. We're just about out of time, but I do have one last question. What's next for Dave Mentz? I know you got the book coming out early next year. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be coming out probably January, February of 2022. 2022, Laundromat Millionaire. Very exciting. What's next for Dave Mentz? Are you going to be opening up new stores? Are you moving out of Cincinnati into adjoining markets? What do you expect the next couple of years to look like for you? As far as the next couple of years, I'm focused pretty passionately on, you know, my, my current retail operations and logistics business is a well-oiled machine. And so, like I said, we're in the middle of building a new store right now, which is a pretty big project by far our biggest. We're going to see that through and get that to profitability and things like that. But that's, that's something I can do. I have a pretty awesome team. Uh, so I can pretty do that without a lot of effort from me at this point. So I plan on spending most, and if not all of my time, in uh, you know, growing the Laundromat Millionaire brand through my book and my podcast and my YouTube channel and my coaching services. And I've already had opportunities where people are reaching out to me and asking me to speak at different events and things like that. 
And ironically, Gordon, a lot of them aren't in the laundromat industry, mm-hmm. which I find really exciting. Am I comfortable with it? Probably not super comfortable, mm-hmm. um, but I'm all about pushing the envelope and being better tomorrow than I was yesterday. You know, I want to share this message with the world. And I know that people in the industry are hearing it, but I want people, I want the mainstream to hear it outside of our industry. And the last thing I'll say on that is there's a lot of people in the industry that know all the things that I'm talking about, about how great this industry is, and they don't want anyone to know. Right. Like it's like this little circle and they don't want anybody, every, they want everybody in the world to continue to think that this is just a little dumpy laundromat and you can't make any money. They want to play that up to the T because they don't want anyone that actually know business really well and are very successful to come into this industry. And so to be honest with you, I'm taking a lot of arrows. I mean, I'm taking a lot of heat in our industry from people that are what I call scarcity mindset. You know, they don't have that abundance mindset. They're all about keeping everything secret and enclosed where I have an abundance mindset. And I just believe that we share, you know, I got to where I am because people shared, you know, with me, they inspired me and they drove me forward in my purposes. And I want to be that person for what I call the 10 year old Dave men's. I want to be that person now, whether it's through public speaking or technology or podcasts and things like this. And so honestly, the short answer is I just want to do a lot more of what I'm already doing and I want to get better at it because I'm, I'm really not that great at it. It's just something I'm kind of raw and very passionate about, but I want to get much more polished um, in, it, in delivering the message in the right way. That's what I see myself doing in the next few years. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for stopping by today. We really appreciate everything you've shared, the message you've been uh, conveying to people. And I do think it's really interesting for all small business owners, not just those in the laundromat business and future entrepreneurs to kind of hear the message you're giving. So thanks so much for everything you've shared today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and tell a friend or colleague to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, make it a great week.